May 29, 2021. This is the All-American Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Seawright. Today, we welcome Mr. Christopher Arps to the All-American Podcast. Mr. Arps gives us an extremely informative interview on the infamous 1619 Project, a revisionist look at slavery in America that is riddled with historical inaccuracies. He'll also speak to us about critical race theory, communist indoctrination in our schools, the burgeoning shift of black Americans moving back to the Republican Party, and the future of education and politics in America. We'll get into it with Mr. Christopher Arps right now. Ladies and gentlemen, today we welcome to the All-American Podcast, Mr. Christopher Arps. Mr. Arps is a board member of the National Center for Public Policy Research's Project 21. He's also a managing partner with the consulting firm Red Tail Strategies, LLC, and the co-founder of moveonup.org, which is a social network of Black conservatives and moderates. Mr. Arps, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Paul. Thank you for having me. Well, we're really glad you're here, and we, of course, want to talk a bit about the 1619 Project, as well as some of your business and nonprofit ventures. But let's get into the topic of the day right now, which is the 1619 Project. And from my recollection, this is a project that was set up to discuss or re-examine the legacy of slavery in America. And it seems that there are some concerns that the project does not exactly portray American history correctly. Is that the correct assessment? And tell us a little bit about the 1619 Project as you're familiar with it. I think that's an excellent assessment. The 1619 Project, which was started by the New York Times, they hired a bunch of so-called scholars to really reevaluate American history. Um, they claim that instead of uh, that America's founding wasn't actually in 1776, that it was actually in 1619 when the first uh, English settlers uh, came to America. Uh, there's nothing wrong with reevaluating history or looking at history, but the problem with the critical race theory in the 1619 project is they are recreating history. Um, they, uh, they, um, uh, operate under the premise that the only reason that the American colonists decided to rebel against England is because England was about to abolish slavery. We all know that is ridiculous. We know that's a reevaluation of history. And that's what the 1619 Project basically is, is reevaluation of history to a progressive uh, viewpoint. Well, I'm a little bit confused by this statement that America started in 1619 rather than 1776. How did they, how did they arrive at that conclusion? I mean, that is clearly a falsehood. Uh, where does that come from and why do you think they're stating that? I think the reason that they're stating that is, is they want to create a bigger legacy of slavery in this country and, and discrimination than there actually is. Um, as you know, the country was actually founded in 1776, not, not 1619, but it plays into a narrative that black people have been oppressed and discriminated uh, in this country on this continent for the past 400 years. So I think that's the main reason why they want to go back to 1619 to say that African-Americans have been oppressed uh, for over 400 years now. Pretty, pretty glaring inaccuracy when you're off by <laughs> that many, that many years. Exactly. And, and so what do you think the agenda is here? You mentioned the endless oppression of Black America, but is, is there something beyond this that um, you can see? And 
is this being adopted by the school systems, for example? Yeah, I think this is just part of the whole indoctrination process that's literally been going on for the last 40 or 50 years within our schools. Um, the schools don't teach American history anymore. They don't teach civics. They teach a reevaluation of history that says that um, this country was stolen from the Native Americans, that African Americans in this country built this country on on slavery and that if it wasn't for that, America wouldn't be the country um, that it is today. And I think it's just plays into the oppression kind of mindset that the Democrats and progressives want to uh, foist on the American people, that this is not a good country, that it is inherently an evil country. And what's sad is they are indoctrinating kids from elementary school all the way up to college with, that, with those ideas. Uh, I have a friend of mine that I went to high school with, her son is currently um, in college and he wrote his mom, emailed his mom exasperated because a class that he had to take, um, the teachers were telling him that he was prejudiced uh, because he was white, that he had white privilege and they were trying to make him feel guilty for things that he shouldn't feel guilty about. <laughs> and unfortunately that's happening all across our schools and all across our universities that white kids are being taught that you are inherently evil because of your skin color. Yeah, and this is something that, I mean, has escaped. I mean, it's, it's, it's gone amok, really, in pretty much every institution of education from um, preschool, even, all the way up through college. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why, other than the fact that they really want to undermine America and transform our society, I can't figure out why they would embrace a narrative that pushes racism when we spent so many years trying to get beyond the idea of racism. Uh, do you concur with that? Yeah, I do. And I think one thing, if you look at the modern day Democratic Party, um, there are a bunch of uh, different constituencies that really don't have anything in common, but they feel that they are oppressed and discriminated against. And so they have the Democratic Party, the liberals have been able to amass a lot of power in that way by bringing a bunch of disparate groups together who have a common denominator of oppression. And I think if you start that early um, in, in kindergarten and elementary school and junior high and you indoctrinate um, kids with that philosophy, then eventually these people go to college, they hear the same thing. And these people will be our future business and political leaders. So it's very smart to start um, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Look, I, I think the main reason that gay marriage and transgender lifestyles and all of that is is accepted now in, in, in our public domain is because if you remember back in the early 90s, there were controversial books that were being introduced to elementary school mm -hmm. kids uh, based on uh, homosexuality. And if you look over the past 30 years, um, that group, they're now adults, they're now in leadership positions. And I think that's why um, if you do any type of polling nowadays, most Americans um, don't have a problem with uh, transgenderism or homosexual marriage. It, mm -hmm. It's accepted. And it's because they started very young. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They did start very young. And of course, now they have um, a, a great voting block that will stay Democrat forever. Exactly. Um, do you see the issue of illegal immigration tying into this as well? Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, um, 
that plays into if you look at the immigrant illegal immigrants or migrants that they say that are that are coming across this country um a lot of people progressives say that um the southwest of this country is was originally uh, owned by the mexicans some people feel that this is still their land so i think because of that type of mindset that is why a lot of people are willing to overlook um, people not coming into our country legally and crossing over the uh, the border through the Rio Grande and and through other areas. So of of course, I, I do think believe that. Yeah, that's an interesting thing you're stating there because it seems like it gets lost that before the Mexicans were here, there were other people here. By the way, um, in addition to that, pretty much every country has a history of conquest and expansion, no matter where you are on the planet. Yes, uh, and in addition to that. Um, you know, we, we, every country has borders for a reason. So you cannot preserve a country without its actual borders or preserving its culture. Uh, Michael Savage likes to say that uh, borders, language, and culture make a country. So it's, it seems to me that they don't want to really have a country anymore. No, they don't. I mean, if you look at socialism, Marxism, it's supposed to be classless. Um, I just wrote something about uh, Lenin Marxism uh, yesterday on my Facebook page. And one of the entrants or one of the uh, things on Wikipedia that said they want a classless society, but they also want a society without borders and without a country that we're all uh, are equal. So I think that's just a big of a part of the overall big plan. Yeah, of, of communism, of, of, of socialism. I, I think you're on the money with that. It is a global uh, socialist effort to transform us to a global communism, in my view. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, so it also seems that part of the agenda, as you're stating, you you talked about the school system being where this is really the foundation is laid at the schools in the school system. They're also getting very far away against teaching reading, writing, arithmetic, those basic um, foundations of academia. And is that, is that designed to keep people preoccupied with the social agenda and dumbed down? Uh, do they really care about academics in any way? You know, I learned a long time ago here in St. Louis at uh, our school board, our school district lost its accreditation and was doing horribly. And so the school board, they brought in a business turnaround firm to come in and, and, uh, and uh, rearrange the school district. And I learned a valuable lesson during that whole time is that a lot of the people that were against the turnaround firm coming in weren't talking so much about educating our children or what it would do to the district. They were more concerned about all of the jobs that were going to be lost in the school district because of this turnaround <laughs> firm uh, was was coming in. And so I learned that, you know, the, the school district is not about educating our children anymore mm -hmm. in a lot of these liberal cities. It's a jobs program. And so they fight heavily against any type of reform. And, you know, the teachers union is just is is like any other union now. Um, they don't really care, it seems, about the company or the children that they're teaching. It's how how many benefits can they get and how can they um, <laughs> keep their job secure? I think that's what the modern day teachers union has become and educating children has become second or third. You look at what's happening with this COVID situation. Um, we spent billions of dollars to remediate these schools, to 
and put air filtration systems in these schools. A lot of these teachers have been vaccinated against the COVID virus, but they still don't want to go back to work. They're still <laughs> claiming that there's 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 still a safety risk for them when we know that elementary school children, um, those those age children aren't affected by the virus. None of them, very few of them have died, if any. And so uh, it's it's just a thing that they can stay out of stay out of uh, stay out of working and to put more pressure on these school districts for more pay and more uh, benefits because these school districts have been inundated with so much COVID money. Uh, imagine um, you're in the business of education, but you're not interested in educating, nor are you interested in, uh, as they like to say, following the science. Yeah. Um, the science is pretty clear that um, these lockdowns are horrible. They don't do anything positive for kids. The masks are horrible for your health. Um, the vaccine is not necessary, plus it's a freedom of choice issue. Um, there's, there's lots of things going on here, and it looks to me like the, the teachers are definitely more interested in a money grab than anything else, which is pathetic. That leads to the demise of our country when you have an uneducated group of young people growing up. I can only imagine how their minds are shaped to embrace this new uh, Marxist ideology. And we all know, too, that the teachers union is just really a arm of the Democratic Party, just like CNN and yeah. MSNBC and all and all of the media. They're just an arm of the Democratic Party. And their main focus is to get Democrats elected and to and to push their agenda. And uh, educating our children is second or third on the list. Well, and speaking of the media, you talked about how The New York Times has really kicked this thing off. Um, and I know other news organizations like MSNBC are mm -hmm. kind of embracing this whole 1619 project. I'm curious, though, because I see some media or some journalists in media, and I use that word mm -hmm. <laughs> hesitantly, um, are, are sort of stepping back away from some of this a little bit because they realize there's so many inaccuracies. But uh, do you think that people are really going to take a hard look at this and reevaluate the 1619 project, or is it just too embedded in our society now uh, to turn back now? I think it's too embedded in within our society because the Pulitzer Prize Commission has given it credibility by giving the 1619 project a, a Pulitzer Prize last year. You know, <laughs> I'm with uh, I'm a board member of Project uh, 21. Uh, National Center's uh, Project 21. And what we do is we buy shares in different companies so that we can uh, ask questions at their annual board meeting. Hmm. And so last year, um, I had the opportunity to ask the publisher of the New York Times about the 1619 project and all of its inaccuracies. And I'm paraphrasing here, but his answer basically was, yes, we do understand there's some controversy and there are some uh, inaccuracies within the 1619 project, but because it spurs discussion, um, we're okay with uh, the inaccuracies and uh, move move forward. Nothing to see here. That was basically was his response. That, that is hilariously absurd. <laughs> uh, I, I don't even know what the word journalism means in America anymore. It seems like it's been lost, and I can't imagine what's going on in the schools teaching journalism, by the way. Yeah, and, and, and you know, my daughter is a a 2016 graduate of the University of Missouri School of Journalism, which um, many say is the best uh, journalism school in the country. And uh, I can only imagine uh, what she was taught uh, her four <laughs> years. <laughs> so how are you counteracting 
um, in your own family with your daughter, for example, or how have you tried to counteract the propaganda that's been pumped out on this type of stuff through the school system? Look, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in dialogue. Um, my daughter is uh, pretty much on the liberal side, so I'm not uh, expecting her to see uh, my views uh, 100%. But I think what's important between liberals and conservatives is having a dialogue, discussing the issues, and being able to do it in a way that People don't walk away mad at each other or, or angry. I think dialogue is what's in, is what is important, and, and that's what we try to to have when we talk about uh, political issues. It's just a a good civil discussion. Well, I think you're right, but with the level of indoctrination that's going on, is it even possible to get through to some of these liberals who? have a completely flipped view of history. Uh, they just, they don't understand the constitution, the bill of rights, the foundation of the country, anything. So when it's, it seems to me like it's, you're speaking to a brick wall. Right. Right. Uh, it, it, have you found success in speaking to some liberals and uh, what, what do you see as the future prospects for having these dialogues? It is, you know, you'd be surprised, you know, I'm pretty conservative in my public life and on my Facebook page. And you'd be surprised at the private messages that I get from people mm. that are pretty conservative, they're pretty liberal, <laughs> that will say, hey, I don't agree with you on a lot of issues, but on this one, um, you are right. And I, and I get that all the time. But because our society is so polarized politically that people don't want to say that, uh, say that publicly. And, and, you know, one of the things that I have have learned when you are trying to talk to someone about politics and discussing uh, issues like that, I don't ever try to approach it as trying to convince them. I try to just present the information to them. And if uh, a light bulb comes up or they see a different perspective, then I've done my job. But if I am going in trying to persuade someone and trying to change their mind, then I'm usually not, uh, not so much uh, effective. Yeah, I think that's a smart strategy. I haven't thought about that, but it makes perfect sense because yeah. uh, you get in these conflicts, especially if they're online and social media, um, no one is going to admit to anything yeah. out of fear of intimidation or a cancel culture or whatever it is that's going on. People need to come to whatever conclusion you're trying to draw them to, they need to come to it themselves without you, without them feeling that you've pushed them to it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we all hate to be wrong and we all hate to admit that we're wrong. So even if someone, if someone sees that you were browbeating them and you're correct, you know, they're going to dig in a little harder <laughs> to, to, uh, with their position because they don't want to be wrong. But if you let them come to it, with their own, through their own conclusion, then, you know, I found that that's been a little more um, positive and trying to bring them to my point of view. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And you provide a, a forum, I believe, for people uh, to talk about this with um, one of your, one of your sites, which mm -hmm. is moveonup.org. And do, do you see uh, recent converts coming to that site? Is it in, is it longstanding Black conservatives? You talk about moderates being welcome mm -hmm. here also. Are some of these people converts to um, the conservative movement? Yeah, and I think we have saw a big conversion during this uh, 2020 election, especially among African Americans uh, for Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump almost received 20% of the African male vote, which is 
unheard of. And you would think, Absolutely. especially the way people riled against Donald Trump and were calling him a racist and misogynist, that for him to get that high of the African-American vote would be impossible, but it, but it wasn't. And also surprising that you don't hear too much from the media is that Donald Trump doubled his share of the African-American female vote. I think he mm-hmm. received 4% in 2016. I think he got 9% in 2020. Um, small gains, but overall, very, very important because as we know that if the Democratic Party ever lost a significant amount of its African-American vote, they, they would be very hard pressed to win elections. And so that's kind of the strategy that we use with moveonup.org. Um, when I started it in 2008, um, people were saying, you know, hey, we have Barack Obama, the first African-American president. You're never going to get African-Americans to look at the Republican Party or conservative movement. And so I agreed with them. And so we take a different tack to outreach instead of trying to uh, find African-Americans that have been voting 50 years for Democrats. We try to find those African-Americans that are already a quote unquote on the team that are already conservative and, and Republican and find them and organize them. You know, during uh, 2008, when uh, Barack Obama faced John McCain, almost a million African-Americans voted for John McCain over the first black president. Just think what type of movement and what type of power black conservatives could insert on the uh, on the public discourse if we could organize just a small fraction of them and and have them become vocal and, and energetic within the grassroots of the Republican Party. I think you'd see much greater gains uh, within the Republican Party. And I think those would be long term gains. Yeah, that that's a great point. And of course, when you have numbers like we had voting for Donald Trump, you have to recognize that was in the face of relentless media yeah. propaganda. So that makes his increases in the black population even more impressive in my view. And there's and there's big there's big opportunity for gains. Look, you have your 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 set of African Americans that are diehard Democrat, blue dog Democrats, they love the party. They think that's the direction for them to go. We need to go as a people. But there's a broad swath of African-Americans who know that the Democratic Party have have been taking us for granted and that we only really see them around election time. And so it's that part of the the electorate that we need to focus on, because I think that they are ready to be converted to conservatives or Republicans. And I think that's where we need to focus a lot of our efforts on are on those people. Right. And you see a lot of um, people who are rethinking things because they're they're evaluating their own life situation. They're also evaluating this whole social justice movement, critical race theory stuff, uh, which people are objecting to. They're objecting to the pushing of the transgender agenda. Uh, Blacks have a lot more uh, conservatism people want to give credit for. But I think a lot of the fact that Blacks have been voting for Democrats so long has to do with uh, the Great Society programs and yes. long-term indoctrination and a creation of dependency on the system. Yeah. Well, a lot of Blacks don't want to be dependent on the system anymore. And you even have folks, entertainers like uh, Ice Cube and 50 Cent who are questioning this. Mm-hmm. I think that is transferring itself into leading to more people question as well uh, the, the status quo of being a Black Democrat. What do you think? Yeah, and I think uh, um, uh, uh, I lost my thought there. I think 
part of the reason too why African Americans are becoming more conservative and 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 Republican is because if you look, as you said, the 1964 Voting Rights Act, um, I think that's why a lot of Black people were voting Democrat um, because of that. But I think as we move forward um, to, towards Donald Trump and beyond, I think you look at the Blexit movement, there are so many African-Americans that are involved with that. And those are young African-Americans. Those aren't the 40 and 50 year olds that are in my generation. You see that uh, from the young people. And I think yes. that's where we're going to uh, grow a lot of the movement. Yeah, that's a great point and a big kudos to Candace Owens for her work and getting a lot of young people uh, on board of this movement. I think that's outstanding by her. And yes. uh, I think that's gaining so much energy. It's going to take a lot of people by surprise because we're not necessarily going to see um, this continuation of indoctrination, even though it's firmly rooted and it's going to be a challenge over the coming years. But um, they're going to deal with a segment of society, I think, that they never thought they had to deal with, which is Black America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm curious also, um, you referred to the Pulitzer Prize being awarded to um, the, the 1619 Project, I believe it's the founder, is that correct? Or the right. author? No, I, I, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking... Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm thinking I'm thinking that the the uh, newspaper received it. Oh, the that. newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. The newspaper received the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. Well, I, I can't say these <laughs> words really mean much. <laughs> no, not anymore. <laughs> Look, the, 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 the Nobel Peace Prize, when Barack Obama gets it for being in office for three months, while Donald Trump, who, you know, got the Abraham Accords passed in the Middle East for four or five different Arab <laughs> companies made peace with Israel. But um, he can't get a Pulitzer Prize shows you that uh, they don't mean very much anymore. They really don't. And yeah, I think Obama went on to bomb seven different countries. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, the election of Obama, though, took a lot of us by surprise. And everyone was hopeful because he seemed to talk the talk before he was president. He talked about getting back to uh, constitutional uh, compliance uh, and then he took everyone by surprise by flipping that. He talked about responsibility yeah. and he gave trillions of dollars to the banks. And I mean, there's so many examples of things where he contradicted himself. But um, what is your take on Obama? Did you, do, do you think that um, he always had these leanings or was he just overtaken by the swamp once he got there? Look, I was always suspect of President Barack Obama just by his background just by him uh, hanging out with Bill Ayers from the underground, mm -hmm. Weather Underground, mm -hmm. just from his association with Reverend Wright's church, um, just from the, uh, I, I, I'm not a birther, but because of all of the questions surrounding his birth certificate and you know where he went to school, Columbia and his transcripts um, wouldn't be released. I was always a little, a little suspect of, of Barack Obama. I think that uh, once he be got in office and he saw that the media was going to continue to cuddle him just like they did during the campaign, that I felt that he could let, let his hair down and uh, try to pass all of the socialist uh, things that he tried to pass. So I think he was always the president that we saw at the end. Um, he had to try to hide it a little bit, uh, trying to become the first black president. You cannot be a radical and probably couldn't be elected. So I think he was a, sh uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
Yeah, I think you might be right about that. But he did deceive a lot of us. We were so energetic about uh, his campaign and we were thinking, well, let's get past the endless wars, which he expanded. Um, Let's get get past um, uh, subsidies for major corporations, which he embraced. And the list goes on. And of course, the socialist agenda that he he pushed, you're absolutely correct. Now, you you spoke a little bit about the shift of um, African-Americans towards the Republican Party. And I'm curious, because we see this dichotomy now, there's a definite split between uh, Republicans who are interested in Trump, which is the majority, mm-hmm. and uh, those who are shunning uh, the rhinos, the Republicans in name only. I'm, I'm wondering, what do you see happening here? Are we seeing the, the, the African-American vote shift more to the Trump type of populist Republican, or uh, are they embracing all Republicans? Is there a struggle with the rhinos that has to be dealt with? I think the African-Americans, especially males, are were attracted to the Republican Party or Donald Trump because they liked his strength. They liked that he said what he what he was going to do and he did what he was going to say. And if you remember, you know, uh, Donald Trump was was very popular among African-Americans, especially among rappers. Um, you couldn't listen to a rap record without them mentioning Donald Trump Absolutely. because they were mannered with his with his personality, um, with his wealth. And I think that attracts uh, attracted a lot of African-Americans and and women, too, yep. um, because we see this demasculinization of men in our society, yes. especially with African-American men. And, you know, we see a lot of times the the homosexual movement tries to piggyback off the African-American civil rights movement by saying that it's the same type of struggle. Um, you see memes that say gay is is the new black. Mm-hmm. And a lot of African-Americans reject that. You know, African-Americans, if mm-hmm. you look at the different demographics when it comes to church going, um, we have one of the highest church going uh, percentages uh, in the country. And I think just trying to force that uh, type of agenda on a conservative community, even though they vote overwhelmingly overwhelmingly Democratic, is not something that's going to uh, be good for the Democratic Party long term and better for the Republican Party, I believe. Yes, I, I agree with that. And the But there is this undermining of the church that's been going on. I think a lot of government policies have been pushing um, for the church to adopt some of these cultural Marxist uh, ideologies. And yeah, and and our and unfortunately, um, a lot of black churches, a lot of black preachers have basically just become subsidiaries of the Democratic Party and they preach democratic values uh, from from the pulpit. So if you want to if you want to talk about the secularization of the church, especially the black church, unfortunately, um, black preachers are helping to foster that, in my opinion. Yes, they are. And the media is big time. I mean, you spoke to the fact that most of Black America is opposed to this emasculation of of the male. But the media, if you watch any sort of television, you would come to the conclusion that maybe 50% of Black America is gay or transsexual. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's pretty astonishing. Um, And then you also have this trend going on in the military as well. Have you you seen some of the... um, new uh, ads by the army, for example, or the policies that they're pushing with respect to uh, cultural Marxism in the military? Well, I did uh, see and hear the controversial CIA recruitment uh, advertisement about the young lady who I think 
she could check every single box when it comes to, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, social issues. She checked that box. So I haven't seen so much uh, cultural indoctrination within the, the armed forces commercials, but that CIA uh, recruitment uh, ad was something else. Yeah, I, I saw that and it made me wonder uh, who exactly is going to be running this year. Exactly. Are they going to be okay? Do they have to be in counseling every week? I'm uh, not really sure. The whole idea of intersectionalism or whatever yeah. they call it. It's, I just want you to just be a spy and get secrets. I don't care what your sexuality <laughs> or any of that means, you know? Yeah, good luck when you're on assignment in a foreign country where yeah. they throw gay people off of buildings, for example. Exactly. Ukraine, <laughs> the, the Russians care about intersectionality, uh, sexuality, yeah. wherever it was. <laughs> yeah, I think we're seriously uh, destroying the culture here. So it's going to be a, a, a long-term battle. And I'm curious, do you think that we're going to win this battle in the end? You know, that's a good question. Um, as a Christian, you know, when I look at the, the biblical worldview tells me that things are going to continually get worse and worse and worse, and our culture is going to become more and more debased. Um, from a secular point of view, um, I do hope that our that uh, our country can come back to, to values. You know, one of the things that's happening here in St. Louis and around the country is this defund the police movement. Oh, yes. You know, we're we're having that happen here in, in our in our uh, in our city here in St. Louis. We just uh, high, or, or, uh, elected a new mayor in February, and she has said that she's going to cut four million dollars from the police budget. Meanwhile, since she has been uh, elected mayor, we've had murders. Crime is just, you know, out of control. So, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's. I'm, I'm worried that, you know, that hopefully, you know, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But hopefully, um, because of these defund movements and seeing the, the, the murder rates and everything get worse in our culture in our cities maybe that will uh, you know bring more uh, values back into our society to see it going to hell in a handbasket when we try to defund the police and some of these other uh, uh, measures that we're doing yeah you would hope so and i i think we're seeing somewhat of a reversal in minneapolis i just read the other day that um, the, the chaos has become so extreme in Minneapolis that people are really questioning, should we really defund the police? Let's bring some people back, uh, though they are bringing back a hybrid of police and um, they have a social uh, social name for this um, new group that they want to work hand in hand with the police, which escapes me now, but it's a group of po people who are not police. Right. They want to respond to calls uh, in, before the police. Then you have places like Atlanta, for example, where they're still pushing to defund the police. And even, I guess, a city councilman pushing for this got carjacked a couple of days ago. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so I saw that. I, there, there's some serious cognitive dissonance going on here. So the question is whether people will wake up to the problems they're causing. I mean, that's still out. Yeah. I think once people just see crime out of control, you know, I saw some statistics um, regarding Minneapolis and what has happened um, since the George Floyd incident. And it's like murders are up 105%. Um, uh, carjackings are up over 100%. I mean, crime is, is out of control. And not only in Minneapolis, but in all these cities. And you're just hoping that, you know, 
people of goodwill and good conscience will say, hey, we tried this experiment of trying to, uh, you know, defund the police or try to uh, re-regulate the police. It's not working. We're in danger. We're, 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 we're not safe. And hopefully that will help uh, wake people up to say this has got to go. We've got to come back to, to reality and common sense. Well, those are some pretty shocking statistics you just yeah. cited. Yeah. So what what level of chaos would it take for people to circle back around and rethink what they're doing? When and I'm just going to be candid here, when you start having crime in white, wealthy areas and it seems like it's out of control. And then I think you'll see a revaluation of this um, uh, defund the police movement. But right now you're talking about defunding the police. The areas that are going to be affected and hurt the most are poor African-American areas. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've said, you know, our new mayor, she's an African-American female. And I, I've said this to my wife yesterday, any mayor or any public official that suggests defunding the police they should give up their police detail to set to uh, show a good example. So <laughs> if you're going to make sure the rest of us don't have adequate police protection, then you shouldn't have adequate police protection as well. Oh, and that. I think that would kind of bring the point home is, yeah, I, I see your ideological point of defunding the police and all of that, but you're basically making these neighborhoods unsafe. You don't have to live in these communities. These folks do. You're absolutely right. Walk the walk, will you? <laughs> exactly. Walk the walk. You want to defund the police, then get rid of your police detail. Yes. And then many, many African-Americans who've been interviewed in largely African-American neighborhoods have explicitly stated they do not like this idea. And taking it when you're right, when the limousine liberals in those wealthy white neighborhoods have to finally experience violence, you may see things turn. Yeah. And I think that is part of what happened in Minneapolis because there's a very wealthy neighborhood there called Lake of the Isles. Mm -hmm. And there are now carjackings and burglaries there. <laughs> and lo and behold, they start yeah. in their tune, right? Now we now we need police protection. Now let's reevaluate defunding the police. Yeah. And 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 I say that because you know, when all of the stuff that was going on here in Ferguson um a few years ago, um, I live right next to the county seat, which is Clayton, Missouri. Um, Clayton, Missouri is a, is a very wealthy, uh, wealthy area. And that's where, you know, the, the courthouses and the jail and everything was. And people were protesting there waiting on the decision on the officer. Was he going to be indicted or not? And, you know, I was saying, look, the people are protesting here and they're starting the crowd around, but there is no way they're going to allow them to burn and loot Clayton, Missouri. It's just not going to happen. But, you know, in other areas, you, you know, it's, hey, let them tire themselves out, let them get out this energy. That's not going to happen in the wealthy areas. They're going to stop that. And we saw that there was no rioting, looting or anything in Clayton. Well, that tells you exactly what liberal white America thinks about black America and that uh, you're being used as a pawn in their political game and their economic game. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty sad. So what do you think then, um, besides having this total chaos um, cascade upon all of us, what do you think can be done on Black America's part to help get the word out that this is a destructive ideology and that we need to really secure our own independence and freedom from this system of dependency? What messaging or what vehicles for messaging are there or should we be engaged upon to get the message out? 
You know, as I said earlier, you're going to have a, a certain percentage of the African-American electorate that are just going to be diehard Democrats. You know, they've swallowed the Kool-Aid. They believe the Republican Party is racist. They believe America is an inherently racist country. They feel that they're always going to be oppressed. But I think there's also another percentage that, of, of people out there that you can reach. And I think organizations like Move On Up, the Frederick Douglass Society, Blexit, we need to have more organizations out there public so that the people that are on the fence that I talked about earlier that know that the Democratic Party has been taking us for granted, but they can't identify themselves as Republicans because of all the bad press that they've heard, but they're not loyal to Democrats. I think the more that those people see me and others out front, um, talking about our faith, talking about our, our political beliefs without any fear. I think once they see more of us, then they will be more uh, uh, less fearful uh, about being ostracized. You know, I always uh, I use an analogy when it comes to moveonup.org. Uh, you know how when you watch na uh, nature programs and you'll see like a great migration of antelopes or gazelles <laughs> yes. in Africa, yeah. and they'll all come up to a, a, a big river and they'll all stop because they know there's alligators or something in there that's going to eat them, you know, <laughs> if they cross. But then what you'll have, Paul, is you'll have one brave animal will cross over that river and will make it safely. And then what happens? All of the rest of the animals join them. And I think that's how I like in the African-American conservative movement is as long as they can see a few of us that have crossed over the river and have made it safely and there's no danger, then the rest of them will come along as well. Great analogy, great analogy, yes. So let's get that message out and let's be those examples crossing the yes. river for others to, to follow. Now, if you would, could you speak a little bit more about um, your, your other business ventures and how people can get in touch with you uh, to support what you're doing? Well, my, my company is Red Tail Strategies, LLC. Um, we do campaign uh, management. We also do uh, IT work. We do uh, social media. And we also uh, work on campaigns. I was very fortunate in 2016 uh, to work on the Ted Cruz campaign in uh, Iowa and South Carolina and back here in Missouri. Um, my social media, I have a website, ChristopherArps.com. Um, that is connected to my Facebook page, and it connects also to articles that I write for National, or not National Review, for, um, for Project 21, National Center's Project 21. And uh, if any of your uh, podcast listeners are, are Red, or uh, Newsmax viewers, um, yes. I appear every Thursday on the Wake Up America program at uh, 5.30, 6, and 7 Central Time. Um, I'm on a political panel with usually two, two or three other people, and we talk about the uh, issues of the day. Yes, we definitely have Newsmax viewers, and I encourage everyone to go check out these interviews with Mr. Christopher Arps. He does an outstanding job, and he always presents us with some enlightening views on everything from education to economics. So everyone tune into that, and uh, let's get the word out, and don't be afraid of your freedom, for goodness sakes, people. Exactly. Get out there and, and be, claim your freedom. <laughs> so, Chris, I want to thank you very much for being on the All-American Podcast. I really appreciate your time, appreciate your work, and look forward to seeing you uh, in the future and spreading the word about the great works you're doing. And I thank you very much for your time. 
Paul, thank you so much for having me. And uh, tomorrow's my birthday. Hey, happy birthday. So I just thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's nice. I'll, I'll uh, do a toast to you uh, tomorrow then. We will not forget. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Do I look 19? <laughs> you look definitely 19 or 20. <laughs> thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. <laughs> Appreciate that. Hey, have yourself a great Memorial Day weekend. And um, everyone, remember to go visit Chris's websites and watch him on Newsmax. It's very important that we support each other in this movement. Thank you again, Chris. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Paul. All righty.